With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, so super fun. Today is is December first, twenty twenty two, and um, it's a it's a been a wild ride this year. You know, kind of coming to the end of the year, uh, we were still very much in a bull when the year started. Uh, we're currently ending very much in a bear, and I can't say winter because uh, there's still just way too much innovation. There's way too many um, really good entrepreneurs and investors entering the space. Uh, that being said, we, we've taken some hits <laughs> into uh, kind of, I, I think for most people, they're, they're concerned about the viability of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies, uh, but that's from the public perception. And I think that's from really the lack of the media understanding what we do and how blockchain works. Um, because the crash of FTX uh, was was truly, you know, that was a, a centralized issue by a, a poor leadership team. Blockchain technology was in no way, shape, or form involved. Um, we have seen failures of some blockchain technologies, such as Luna, uh, algorithmic stablecoins. I'm sure Bill's going to have some comments on on things like that. Um, you know, just we're not we're not good for the industry uh, in the short or long term. So that being said, uh, we have you know what I would say is an absolute industry expert. You've been in the space for a long time. I, you can take you can take OG status because uh, you were sitting around begging people to to look at Bitcoin um, a long, long time ago before most people even uh, you know knew. It existed. So that being said, you know, Bill, how did you kind of, you know, get involved in the space? Um, you know, and what, what have you kind of done prior to this? Sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a long time uh, tech and, and capital markets, uh, internet entrepreneur. And so um, for me, just crypto was a natural extension of so many things that I've been working on over the years. Uh, I, I worked on a lot of early things related to internet payments and SSL, which is the you know S and HTTPS, and um, I actually ran a remittance company before uh, starting Abra, and it gave me a lot of exposure to developing markets and how people use money there, and, and um, the trials and tribulations and costs for for not having access to the traditional banking system, uh, and also dealing with regulators. Uh, for cross-border transactions in the last few years. So, so I understand the tech extremely well, the computer science background. And, um, and, and when I first saw, the, you know, Bitcoin and, and, uh, and, and said, wow, this, this person thinks they've solved this problem about how to move uh, money between two parties with no intermediary, which is something that, you know, those of us who are kind of in that cypherpunk world, knew was the holy grail of, of internet money, but thought was unsolvable. And I was, I was hooked almost immediately. I was all in. So, so I really been continuing a, a long journey down the rabbit hole ever since it's been, you know, over 10 years for me. So it's interesting. So my, my first purchase uh, of Bitcoin was I bought a uh, hundred of them for $20 in early 2010. Um, and then I threw them away because, you know, it was just a test. There was nothing there. And, you know, because we had seen eGold come and go. We had seen others that kind of, you know, really were, were predecessors to this and the thought that like, hey, digital, a digital asset, a digital currency will happen. 
Um, but but I whereas I said like this is cool and and went away because the primary use case turned into you know drugs for a long time. You you absolutely uh, saw through the veil and and could kind of. Um, you know, you spoke on stage very publicly for a long time about this. Mm-hmm. What what was different about Bitcoin compared to some of the other attempts at digital assets that you had seen? Yeah, it, it was really look. Look, the holy grail for internet money was solving the double spend problem. Okay, and the double spend problem basically says if you're storing the money digitally, meaning there's some key or other bare instrument that you have, do you need a central trusted party? to brokers sending that money to someone else, or can you actually send it effectively peer-to-peer to someone else, right, without two people spending the same money? Okay, no one had ever solved that problem before, and that really is the the, the, the basis for having a trustless uh, system, right, which is what Bitcoin represents, and that is huge, okay, because it's either trustless or it isn't. And all money monetary systems up until Bitcoin involved centralized trust. They still do. Yep. Um, and, and so that is the breakthrough of Bitcoin and why it's fundamentally different and, and, and you know, why it remains fundamentally different. So, you know, again, when um, this, and again, this is a problem that we've seen try to be solved so many times. Um, yep. And blockchain and, and peer-to-peer, you know, again, work. Uh, proof of work has, has yet to be broken in any way, shape, or form. But we seem to have this problem with 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 the people. <laughs> like People aren't working well within the system. And and so just as a, as a quick thought, and we're going to dive into a lot of the things you're working on, have you seen a good improvement from um, you know, kind of where we started in, you know, over, over 10 years ago with Bitcoin and people managing their keys or, or at least figuring out better that, that like you really own these things. You really have to mess with it because you've been through Mount Gox. You've been through uh, every single one of these things. And now with FTX, again, it just seems like no one's learning the lessons that, that have been taught so many times about well, this has to be held, handled differently. There's a couple of lessons here, right? So the first is when it comes to these ups and downs, it's been cyclical. And it's mm-hmm. been kind of like clockwork cyclical, right? Like the true definition of cyclical, right? And so, so everybody who's kind of surprised now isn't really paying attention to the past, okay? And I would also basically talk to a Congress. You know, I'm seeing a lot of these comments from uh, uh, Janet Yellen, Secretary Yellen, and others talking about how how crazy volatile this is. And I would love to show her a chart of Amazon shares from 1990, whatever, whenever they went public until 2001, when the stock fell 87% and and is now one of the most valuable companies in the world. And and that's the nature of exponentially growing assets uh, and and technologies and and companies, right? And and, and so Bitcoin's not a company, but it is an exponentially growing asset in terms of adoption. And they, they experience these ups and downs, and some of it is related to money supply changes. Historically, if you look at stock prices, asset prices, especially things that grow exponentially, Tesla now, uh, those prices tend to move uh, in huge uh, spikes up and down relative to changes in money supply. Okay, And they'll outperform over time, and so your time horizon needs to be adjusted. Now, that's the the, uh, uh, investor perspective on on why that matters. The second thing is, is that this is a threat. Right. When you have something that is truly decentralized that says we don't need the powers that be to arbitra- arbitrarily define our money 
and ar- artificially inflate our money to control the money supply, by definition, it's a threat. And, and so I actually see it as a threat in a positive way because it represents a, a kind of a check, if you will, on, on uh, you know, un, yeah, I don't know, unchecked government power run amok for decades. You know, we're at the end of this 75, 80-year debt cycle, and it's been unchecked since then. And, and obviously, um, a, lot of, a lot of people and, 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 and other around the world have benefited from the dollar's status as a, as a global reserve currency, but we've, we've inflated that currency's value now to close to zero, relative to where it was at the beginning of the debt cycle, for sure, um, at the expense of the middle class, right? Because inflation is a tax on the middle class. Right, which basically goes to the rich. That's all it is. I, it's just a redistribution. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with yeah, everything. It's, it's not even a matter of opinion. It's just a redistribution of wealth from the middle class to the to, to, to the wealthy who actually issue the bonds. Follow the debt. Right. If you want to understand how wars really get started, follow bond markets. They tell the story, and this is no different. Do, you know, do 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 we think that the world is arbitrarily being asked to take sides right now uh, as some unbelievable coincidence? Absolutely not. This, we've, we've seen this story seven, eight, nine times before over the last 600 years. Ray Dalio writes about it in his new book very eloquently, more eloquently than I can explain it, talking about the changing world order. And we've seen it before. Follow the bond markets. They tell the story time and again. This yeah, represents, it, it, sorry, just this represents, you know, uh, Shamat Palahapatiya talks about it as schmuck insurance. I, and, and in a way it is. It's, it's, it's the ultimate schmuck insurance against, you know, government power unchecked run amok. It, Bill, I love this, and I'm not. I'm not going to stop this conversation. We're going to keep going right into these because it's you're very passionate about it, and it's a great conversation. So, so let's talk about BRICS. Um, and and you know, again, now we have like truly the the U.S. dollar. Many wars have been fought to establish the U.S. dollar as a global currency. Has been fought to uh, keep that as the petrodollar and, and make sure that all uh, you know energy kind of exchange of, of currency is done through the U.S. dollar. That creates reserves that each country has to hold. And, and each company, so it really helps, um, you know, move that debt around quite a bit. So it's not as prevalent. And and again, the U.S. has done a, an amazing job of printing currency uh, efficiently and and you know disgustingly over the last few decades. So with the concept of of things coming out with BRICS, and now that you suddenly have alliances being formed by countries saying like we don't need to involve the U.S. in our energy uh, our, our energy distribution. Um, this opens the doors for lots of new currencies. This opens the doors for Bitcoin and, and stable coins and, and everything else. How how do you feel um, that the, this transition is going to going to occur? Because it's not going to be a, a nonviolent one or an easy one. It's not. Right. It's going to be chaos. So so I think there's. I guess I would say three things that we need to understand. We need to understand the existing system, which we just started to talk about a little bit. Debt cycle why fiat money always fails, why human frailty uh, is the problem, and why having a trustless system that eliminates this opportunity for human frailty to be the problem is so exciting and interesting. Okay, that's kind of part one. Part two says, okay, how do you fix the money itself? And that's, we kind of alluded to that with the trustless system for Bitcoin. But then we can talk about its properties, its technology, how hard it is to change. It's not gold in the sense of you can't change, you can't change the atomic structure of gold. You can change Bitcoin, but it's very hard. It's very, very hard, and it should be very hard. Mm-hmm. And then the third part, which is related to your, your, your question, is how do you, how do you make the, the banking and financial system work around this new type of money? Okay, 
Um, because today the banks work around the idea of a central bank being at the top of the pyramid and, and them basically pulling the strings in terms of how money supply works and how the banking system itself works. That really needs to be reworked in a decentralized economy. And, and that's the promise of DeFi, smart contracts, uh, Ethereum, and, and other, other protocols that relate to that. So, so while I look at Bitcoin as the solution for the future of money, I look at Ethereum and smart contracts as the future of banking. And they're very different things. And they don't necessarily interoperate yet very, very well, although I think they will in the future. And that's fine. Um, and, and so I, I do think we're going to see very, very rapid innovation uh, continued rapid innovation in in the DeFi area in a way that's very complementary to uh, Bitcoin and other competitive technologies as kind of improvements on um, the central banking model towards a, a a trustless model. So, Bill, you, you've been around for a while. Um, you, you've seen the ups and downs, and, and you have experience prior to to digital currencies and whatnot. So, you kind of understand really what we're looking at. You, and what I'm what I mean by it is. You didn't just show up and, and uh, you know, out of college and go, wow, this is cool, and it's your first exposure. You clearly have some historical historical knowledge. You, you've seen the, the boom and bust cycles multiple times, and I completely agree with you on the volatility. Um, I, I don't think Bitcoin is volatile at all. I think the U.S. dollar is extremely volatile, and that's that's what we compare it to. Great so, way to look at it. Yeah. yeah, if we compare ETH to uh, ETH to Bitcoin and only look at that, it's it's much stabler uh, cool. when you're kind of, of in the, the crypto world. Absolutely. So, so, so that being said, um, you know, and really, we want to get to this point of like global blockchain, a global economy of of some sorts. Um, but there's the the institutional regulation, which has no idea what we're doing and no idea or concepts around around what we're you know kind of what Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies should be. And then you've got you've got us inside the asset class with people like Sam Bankman and and you know Do Kwan that are just like. They're so concerned about getting rich quick and so concerned about personal wealth yeah. that they're they're like forcing you know horrible regulations on us. What what's the path? Who who do we trust anymore? And I think that's the biggest point about blockchain is it's all about trust. Yeah. So so I would I would actually look at who has who has basically studied this maybe before Bitcoin even existed. And history has actually given us clues, right? So if you actually go back to the 70s, uh, Hayek wrote about private money, right? Mm. There was no internet, certainly no public internet. There was certainly no Bitcoin. There's no, no smartphones. And he actually described what would happen if we had private money uh, with a fixed float. No really mm. concept about how to deal with the human frailty issue, but he said, let's just assume uh, for our discussion that we could, meaning the human frailty issue, meaning we couldn't uh, start to reinflate our private money the way the government does, Okay. And he actually described basically what's been happening with Bitcoin. It's incredible. Mm. It's truly incredible that somebody who had no internet, no internet, no Bitcoin, no white paper, none of that figured out that private money in the first step would be hoarded, which is exactly what's happening with Bitcoin. I mean, he literally wrote this in, I think it was in 77. And he said, private money will be hoarded because people will deem it's so valuable. But eventually the value grows exponentially and especially in the case of Bitcoin, where it can be subdivided in, you know, down to eight decimals, which we call Satoshis, um, that makes it spendable eventually um, and, and, and eventually makes no sense for the masses to try to hoard it. Because once it becomes so valuable, what's the point? 
right? So you're going to want to spend it, use it. And, and, and that's the path for private money. Now, the challenge is that decentralization is very expensive. It's computationally expensive. Um, it's, it's bandwidth expensive um, and, and a whole bunch of other types of expensive. And, and that manifests itself in, you know, the history of the block size wars and, and, and now lightning as being a, a, a means for dealing with person to person transactions um, and other, you know, layer, layer two solutions uh, in the Ethereum world as well, because Ethereum, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, have a, a catch all for this either. And so, so I do think that we're basically seeing slowly over the next 15 years, which is not a long time. I mean, I worked at Netscape. Can't believe it feels like it was yesterday, but it was almost you know it was twenty five years ago, right? Oh, how the internet has changed in twenty five years. So we're basically seeing a wholesale rebuilding of the banking stack in favor of a decentralized model. Now there will be centralized actors to your question, mm-hmm. like Abra, right? I, I kind of look at us at scale as like a Web two five company because we yeah. want to use DeFi and and decentralized Rails in the background as much as possible. And we're going to give you a, a, a kind of a trusted risk management system on top that will let you manage custody if you don't know how to deal with keys and, and, and deal with lending and borrow against your Bitcoin and earn, earn crypto rewards with your credit card and, and a whole bunch of other things we can talk about. But those rails are going to be decentralized. And we're seeing that just start to play out now, right? The, the phrase DeFi didn't exist four years ago. I think it's less than four years old. Right, Correct. layer two concepts started with Lightning, and Lightning is just now becoming real. I would say, which is very impressive, but it took a long time, and it should. Mm-hmm. Right, this is hard to get right, and if you're really going to become kind of the the layer above the base layer for moving money around, like the ACH for Bitcoin, that's trustless. You have to get it right. <laughs> There's no second chance, in my opinion, and and therefore it's going to take time. And we're seeing this play out with other layer two. Um, you know, roll-up technologies on Ethereum as well. So, so, so that's how I see this playing out. You go from hoarding at the base layer to P2P technologies like Lightning and Layer 2 that basically start to get the wheels going. You get competition at the base layer, which I think is very important, right? There's a lot of things that I don't want Bitcoin doing out of the gate that, you know, I would like to see happen, even on a Litecoin, for example, right? Then like Mimblewimble. I don't know if Bitcoin needs, wants, or will should ever have Mimblewimble. But it's great that there's a competitive technology that can integrate it and test it, call it digital silver, maybe, I don't know. But but then we can decide, right? And the same with Ethereum versus Solana. They're making different trade-offs on the, the kind of triad of, of, of sky, scalability. And, and so that's important as well. And I know a lot of my good friends, and I, we have disagreements about this all the time, who, who think that everything besides Bitcoin is useless. We don't agree on this. And that's fine. We don't have to. Uh, but I, 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 you know, to your point about my background, I've, I've been at this for a long time. And I understand software. And this is software at its core. It's not, you know, uh, mana from heaven. <laughs> it is software. Uh, and, and, and so we need to treat it like software and recognize that software, you know, probably should be improved over time uh, with a, a well thought through plan and plans change. No, and, and, I, and a fabulous answer. What was the name of that book, by the way? Um, oh, you mean from Hayek? Yeah, uh, I don't remember. Um, I can give it to you and put it in the in the, in the show notes. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. get in the, we'll get in the show notes. So it's fabulous. And I, I'm I'm very excited to read that. Thank you for that uh, that tidbit. So so let's go ahead and, and dive a little bit um, in, into Opera because I, I I'm really excited to talk about this, especially with some of the failures that we've seen 
um, from centralized exchanges that do not understand, um, you know, the, the idea of like clients deposits shouldn't be tested, touched or anything like that. And we watched, you know, we've seen this time and time again with with failures of exchanges. Um, give us the the elevator pitch of, of, of why you built Abra and and how it's kind of different in the market. And then I've got a whole bunch of questions for you right after that. Sure. I, I mentioned that I was doing uh, some work in developing markets. I spent a lot of time in, in Mexico, Philippines, Central America, the Caribbean, Haiti, uh, looking at different banking models, also you know, doing wealth management in the U.S. So I dealt with you know, billionaires and I was dealing with poor farmers in, in remote countries. And so, as I said, Bitcoin was super attractive to me because it really solved a lot of problems um, uh, that I was dealing with. Uh, and, and so I wanted to start a company that would basically build a new type of bank around this Bitcoin model, whether it was for uh, remittances and money transfers, investing in wealth management, uh, lending. Uh, and so now we've, we've ended up with this whole kind of new banking model at Abra where we enable retail customers uh, via our, our simple app. We have a, a private banking business, which is kind of like... I guess First Republic, you know, in the U.S., they have this private wealth management that they're pretty known for, and 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 we have a very high touch sales team that's dedicated for high net worth investors to give them exposure to crypto, let them borrow against crypto assets, gives them bespoke investment products to earn yield on on holdings, and to kind of like a treasury product. We also have payment companies that manage treasury using Abra now, and they earn yield on on their crypto holdings, and and they actually make a lot of money. Uh, through Abra. And then we have an institutional arm, which services mostly traditional finance clients, other banks uh, that are now have um, evolved into the crypto space, uh, whether it's high frequency trading or liquidity pools for uh, OTC trading, uh, derivatives. Um, we help them with liquidity. We help them with lending. Uh, we help them create bespoke derivative products, whatever, what, you know, traditional prime model basically, but applied to crypto. So we have this full banking stack from retail to institutional that serves us really well. And we've never had the casino cowboy mentality, right? So if you look at the companies in the crypto space that have died, it's generally been for a couple of clear reasons. A few have died because they have this cowboy mentality, whether that manifests itself in I run a leveraged casino where you can get 100, 100x leverage on your, on your crypto. That's generally outside the U.S. You can't do that in the U.S., and that creates another set of problems, which is you're not regulated by U.S. either trust or money transmitter laws like Abra or Coinbase or you know the U.S. company. Even FTX U.S. If you know back to the, that that fiasco, looks like they had the funds. It was the non-U.S. company that apparently didn't have the funds. And why? Because the regulation in the U.S. is crystal clear on this CFTC regulation. If you're running leverage futures, uh, money transmitter regulations. If you're running a traditional spot exchange, very clear. Yep. Right, you must maintain a hundred percent reserves. There's no such thing for a spot exchange as a liquidity crunch. It just can't happen, right? No. Unless, of course, you've escheated your or, or effectively taken your client's funds and done something you're not allowed to do with them. Uh, and, and so, so leverage is different, right? Because if you're using futures, there's borrowed money involved, right? Because if I'm, uh, you know, making a five x bet, just like you can in a casino, that Bitcoin's going to go up. Right, the money's coming from somewhere, and and places like Bitmex and Binance and 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 in the past FTX uh, were were very good and very proficient at that. But it's generally not something that you're allowed to do or easily allowed to do in the U.S. So so there's different problems associated with running myriad versions of those businesses. Uh, 
but they generally come down to three things, right? One is you don't have a separation of custody and the exchange provider. That's a tough one. Okay. But I do, and, and that doesn't really exist even much in the U S starting to some, some do, uh, meaning why aren't exchanges basically forced to, for spot exchanges, custody at BitGo or, uh, Fireblocks and, you know, some of these, these really hardcore lockdown cold storage oriented service providers, as opposed to, you know, managing cold storage themselves, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, creates a conflict, right? Look at Mt. Gox. And, 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 and so the second is location. And I think U.S. Yep. regulation makes a big difference. And, um, and and the third being this cowboy mentality as it relates to leverage and uh, rehypothecation. Uh, but but more importantly than rehypothecation, because rehypothecation of itself is not evil. Um, it's, it's this cowboy mentality around 100x leverage for retail that has created a lot of problems. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. This, 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 you know, boom, which was great. Everybody loved it. Um, you know, was, was amplified by the fact that so many people were just beyond leveraged and the exchanges were, you know, couldn't, couldn't yeah. pay out their winnings. So they were leveraging themselves and they're, they're, I mean, it was just, it was insane to see. So I love hearing that that's, that's not the way you guys manage it. And I think that that's, there's too much money to be made in this space to be using leverage. That's like we're volatile enough. That's right. You know, we, we asked ourselves when we saw FTX naming arenas and, you know, we saw Celsius raising a billion dollars. We said, are we doing something wrong? You know, cause we're growing, we were profitable yeah. last year and, and, and I'm very happy with the growth, but it's not like these insane numbers. And I I've been around the block and this just doesn't feel right to me. And if we had this discussion internally, like, what am I missing? You know, cause yep. I, I don't, I don't know everything. Maybe as a CEO, I'm getting something wrong. And it turns out I wasn't what I was, what I, you know, what I wasn't getting is why they were wrong. And I guess intuitively I was, but, but, but I couldn't explain it right now. I can explain it because in hindsight, it's obvious the three things that I'm talking about, but, but to your point, when you're dealing with exponential technologies and people are kind of getting it at an exponential scale, you don't need to be doing all that crazy stuff. Yeah. You're going to have ups and downs. Startups become insolvent. Google was insolvent uh, probably half their early adult life. Right? Yeah. And that's the way it goes when you're building a startup, but you don't play games with client money, especially when it's, you know, it's bad enough if it's a search engine, but when you're managing other people's money, no way. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, it, it, it's, 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 it's beyond egregious to even think in a, And I agree with you as a, as a CEO that this is professional what I've done for a few decades, um, you know, to, to, to what occurred, um, isn't by accident. No one just woke up and go, oh my God, how did all these things happen? Like these, this is, you know, egregious, uh, you know, errors that, you know, again, fiduciary responsibilities, absolutely just abandoned. Yeah. I mean, fiduciary responsibilities for sure. But I would also say egregious in the sense that woeful woeful ignorance is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Right. And and we're starting to hear a lot of that. Oh, I, I didn't know I'm, uh, you know, I'm too young risk management. Look, if you, if you're going to take on the responsibility of managing other people's money, there is no such thing as woeful ignorance, right? No. With with the CEO and, and that's the way it goes. That's the, you know, I get the brunt good or bad when, you know, when things are good, people like, Hey, Bill, good job. When, you know, I got 125 people doing amazing work behind me and I get the brunt when, when things, you know, go wrong. So that's that's the way it is. Yeah, it's very lonely at the top. <laughs> people, people like to think it's there. It's like, no, I'm stressed when it goes up, and I'm stressed when it goes down, and that's just the way we live. Um, so here's here's a couple of questions, and this, these are just again overall theses on on you know someone that's been around the space for a long time. So 
there's there's obviously you know thousands, tens of thousands of cryptocurrencies that exist, um, and and what that is is a majority scams. You know, some yeah. of these coins are because are they're insolvent the day they were created. They were designed to do you know a variety of things. Um, how do you and, and and Abra kind of differentiate between what should go onto your exchange um, and 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 holding back from things that even though they may be popular. Uh, you know, or, yeah, or desired question. that you're, just, you're trying things. to safeguard One, clients? Or, or how do you yeah. think of that? Mm-hmm. You know, we're really not interested in stuff that is traceable, like pump and dump schemes, right? If you're raising a ton of money short term, no project's ever been released, um, you know, people are liquid with their coins, you don't really see that on Abra, right? It's just not, it's not what we're trying to do. It's not, it's not a casino for, uh, you know, a bunch of MIT kids who could create an ERC-20 token on, on Saturday night, which you yeah. can. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's just technology. It's just software. But but if it's used to facilitate this casino mentality, we're not interested. And OK, yeah. so so now I would say beyond that, we have to be careful because I think the right way to do this stuff is to not have like this, this pre-sale kind of mentality. But Ethereum was created with a pre-sale and it's worked fine. Now, historically, I don't know if if that would fly again. I mean, I guess Solana and Aptos and others that I think I'm bullish on probably did have a a pre-sale. I I never really dug in because I was so bullish in the technology. I think when we look at a layer one or layer two protocol and we're bullish, that kind of trumps how they may have financed themselves. Um, And I think there's a a distinction that that the SEC and even like the Michael Saylor types still, in my opinion, don't get. Michael refers to, and, and Gary Gensler refers to a lot of these tokens as securities, and that's nonsense. I actually worked with a law firm that wrote a paper on why these tokens are not, and I don't know if they've published it yet. It's really interesting. And I'm, now the distinction is they may have done security offerings to raise funding, okay? But if you're releasing a layer one protocol that at scale shouldn't have an off switch, I, you know, we can argue whether Solana is, has an off switch or not yet, uh, but in theory... It's that's not a security, right? That's a yeah. that's a it's it's a token with decentralized utility, and so I get that you could make an argument about the fundraising process, and, the, and and trust me, I know these guys. We talk to them; they take all this into account when they're dealing with that now. But they also differentiate that fundraising process from the asset itself, and and so this blanket argument that it's all scams and 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 pumping it's just nonsense. It's, you know, these, these developers don't have to do this, right? If you follow the developer, developers aren't universally about a quick buck. They're just not. Because, you know, in Silicon Valley, up until, you know, probably this year when we were seeing layoffs for the first time, good job of developers can make $300,000 a year, yeah. right? And, and so, so why do I need... To, to focus on some new token just to drive the price up as a developer. It just doesn't, it just doesn't jive with me for, for most people. I, I do think there are some bad apples that basically will do this because you can. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and so that's fine. That will get diluted with the good actors over time. The early uh, internet was laden with, you know, uh, porn, gambling, uh, scams. It's still there. There's just yeah. as much of that now as there was in the mid-90s. The difference is it's been diluted with a gazillion other applications that we all use every day and don't most of us have no don't even see this crap anymore. That will yeah. happen with crypto, smart contract stuff like NFTs, you know, stable coins, 
uh, et cetera, et cetera, over time, DeFi, et cetera, et cetera. So we're just getting started. We're in that phase now where the bad stuff hasn't been fully diluted with enough good stuff yet. And that's fine. That just means we're early. So I love, I love that segue and, and you're the perfect person to have this conversation. So I, I love comparing web three to web one. Web two is, you know, it, it, we just got rid of the servers um, in our, that are in our offices and everything else. But, but when we really think back to kind of the early days of web one and, um, you know, 14K modems, like, and I remember on the side of my monitor, it wasn't even IP addresses. It was phone numbers. Like you had to d- know what server you wanted to dial into. Um, and then slowly, and by the way, thank you for the SSL. Um, that was that was huge. Um, you know, slowly it became IP addresses. Then it was domain names, and then there was CompuServe, and then there was Prodigy, and then they had email, but it was only email internally. And then AOL showed up, and like so, there's this progression that it took you know long time for for adoption to actually become relevant. It took a long time for for users to become comfortable, and it, there was not a single time in the '90s when anyone would have considered putting their credit card into a website. To be anything that they would have done. Interesting. So when you came out with Netscape, that was like one of the first killer apps that truly brought you know a majority of people to say, "Wow, this works." Yeah. Have, we haven't. I don't think we've seen that yet in Web three. I think we're still waiting for that that aha technology yeah. that for mainstream really really helps. It, it, what, what's your feelings on this? I, I agree. I think I think a few things are going to change over the next few years, and you're starting to see some 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 signaling with NFTs. Um, I think you're going to start to see all kinds of applications in a, in a web two five model that take advantage of decentralized technologies. Uh, you'll start to th- see, see this, I would guess a phrase like digital collectibles emerge, which is all just another catchphrase for, for types of smart contracts. Yeah. Um, and, and, and nobody wants to say smart contract in a, in an application and at scale, nobody probably wants to say NFTs, but NFT sounds better than smart contracts to, to non-techies. It's just kind of a, it's just like MP3. Uh, yeah. few years ago. My kids have no idea what MP3 is. That's that's amazing. <laughs> that's how far yeah. we come, right? So so that's going to happen with this stuff. And it, it, when the first when Netscape 1.0 came out, you, nobody would put a credit card in. It wasn't secure because there was no SSL, right? We yeah. hadn't created HTTPS yet. And so once we created HTTPS and we could basically prove mathematically that public-private key was unhackable, at least the U.S. version. We can get into the non-U.S. version, which actually was, but 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 the, the the U.S. version allowed allowed us to show that you could safely enter a credit card on Amazon or eBay or you know PayPal whatever, and that was huge, a huge breakthrough. And so we're going to have these aha moments like we've had with stable coins and yield and lending, with NFTs and collectibles, uh, with DeFi and and, and, and lending and, and liquidity pools. Um, and in a consumer-friendly way in the next run-up, in my opinion. You're going to see a migration to digital collectibles in in games, um, in events. I'm going to an event here in our Basel today, and I, I've got a, oh. an NFT ticket on my phone. I'm just a digital collectible that I'll be able to keep after the event, right, and do other things with. Right. Yeah. No. And, and and by the way, have fun at our Basel. We've got a whole bunch of members there today, so uh, there there are tons of exciting things. But jumping back, because I think this is this is a really good conversation uh, about kind of the Web One side of things. Um, you know, the, the the core concept of of suddenly there's there's Netscape and it, it is displaying images and it's usable because we we went past the the phone numbers uh, and the IP addresses to actual you know domain names and it was it was super easy. Anyone 
could could slowly start to figure things out. And then Yahoo, you know, figured out search, and and you know, a number, and then email slowly became more and more prevalent. What what's the the next thing that we really have to fix? You know, I, I to throw a couple of things out. I, I think wallets and bridges are garbage. I, I think that they're they're hurting the entire industry, and no one's even come close yeah. to what a, a true wallet will look like, which is very close to the, all the early browsers were, were horrible. They they had they were not actually usable. Yeah. Um, but w- what are your thoughts on kind of the, the one thing that we need to get mainstream adoption? So I think I've been thinking, we think, well, I, it's our job. We think about this all the time. I think two things are, are exciting to me right now. I think that the digital collectible space, again, mm-hmm. I'm using the, the, the kind of future phrase for the NFT world today, um, is is going to explode now? It's it's going to be interesting when Fortune 500 brands come at this. Now we saw announcements this week from Nike, and I've seen some others uh, where they're going to basically have kind of membership oriented digital collectibles that you can store in a wallet. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point about the wallet, I think that has to evolve because today what you have is you have MetaMask, which I mean, to me, like back to your one, Web 1.0 analogy, we used to have this, and you still have it on a Mac. You can actually run Telnet. Uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a window, and basically you would access the internet via telnet sessions uh, in, in the early yep. 90s. And, 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 and MetaMask is like using telnet. You need a PhD in computer science to understand what the hell you're looking at. Now, somebody can tell you step-by-step, step, click here, click here, click here, click here. Now, the NFT will show up, but you have no idea what you just did. None. The average person. And then you're looking at an NFT, not realizing that there is a private key on your phone or on your laptop, like the one I'm I'm using for this call. And and if you get rid of that laptop and haven't backed up your key, it's gone. Yep. Now, I would venture a guess that the vast majority of people who are using MetaMask probably don't understand what I just said. That's a problem. So I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a series of technology evolutions here that one start to give you almost like bank accounts, just like you would have your Bank of America account or I have my First Republic account or E-Trade, whatever, and you're going to have all your digital stuff. So at Abra today, your, your Abra bank account basically has your Bitcoin, your Ethereum, other crypto assets. It's about to have uh, a next-generation wallet, which also, in the same wallet, no need for the MetaMask for the first time, stores your digital collectibles and makes them interoperable. That's never been possible before. Right now, they're two different apps, right? If you have your Coinbase app for buying crypto, you also have your separate wallet app, which stores the key on your phone. And most people don't understand why they have to have two. They just told that that's the way it is. So we've created almost this bank account for crypto model that integrates all of them into that you know traditional retail bank-like experience, but then makes those digital assets, makes those collectibles available to any website, right? That has a, a, a DAP model, right? So mm-hmm. kind of like making Facebook Connect the user ID glue that drove Web Web two. Okay, and you're going to see other companies do this, like, just like Abra is, and then you're going to see some kind of intermediary wallets because we're releasing APIs for our for our our, our basically bank uh, crypto banking service that will allow you to add NFTs to web pages, um, you know, access your Bitcoin from a prepaid card bank account somewhere else, all basically using Abra in the background to store this stuff, and it's transparent yep. how it's being done. Right, you get your membership PFP NFTs or whatever you know, basically the digital collectible stuff, and it's all seamless. That hasn't happened up until now, but it's. I think that's that's going to be an emerging theme in twenty three, in my opinion. 
Okay. I, I, I fully agree. Yeah. And, and that's going to start to, and, and I call that kind of a web two five experience because you're yep. still using a web two model, but you're integrating ownership, individual ownership into that now, which is the promise of the, at least the, the, the digital collectible aspect and, and, and to a large degree that the overall crypto aspect of, of, um, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, NFTs and smart contracts. So, so that's, that's going to come next. And then I think, you know, beyond stable coins as a way to arbitrage, uh, you know, uh, dealing with bank wires on exchanges, you're going to start to see stable coins emerge as a way to do cross-border commerce. Uh, I, 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 I'm not going to guarantee, but I, I'd be shocked if you didn't see Amazon, eBay, uh, Alibaba, all basically supporting stable coins for settlement, right? USDC, BUSD, whatever, Chinese versions, um, you know, Euro, Euro versions, uh, no chargebacks, real-time settlement, um, lower fees, which they can pass on to the consumer, uh, no, lower FX risk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Instant yeah. liquidity, because, you know, we built uh, tr- trading systems in the background that can provide them local liquidity in almost real time. Wow. So it's, it's extremely compelling and it hasn't really started to touch the average consumer yet. But the point is they won't have to have a trading account on an exchange in order to use this. It'll be integrated into Amazon. It'll be integrated into Alibaba and eBay, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the way it should be. Okay. Yep. No, I, I completely agree. The the modular internet is the way I kind of start have started referring to to Web three, um, because you know if you if you don't like your bank, just replace it. You don't have to go and, and get a new checking number. You don't have to do you know. There's there's so many things that are just you know really interesting about this. Um, let's take a, a quick second and, and just talk a little bit about regulation. And it's no one's favorite subject. Um, but but and I'm not trying to get into any specifics. But with Web one, it was like. The regulators just sat on the sidelines and said, you guys go figure this out. Like we, we think that something here. And, and so Amazon, don't worry about sales tax. Like you just like you're shipping your new industry. So, so don't worry about these things. And it gave them like an advantage over, over, you know, brick and mortar retailers like myself back in the day when I used to own some of those things. Um, and, and it really was like kind of a, like prioritizing this new digital world. However, now we're into web three and it's like we're getting hit with more regulations than we ever should be, and we're not really properly allowing uh, this asset class to grow. What, what are your thoughts around that? So, okay, we have to understand the difference between decentralization and a trusted third party. If you're going to manage your private keys, they can put whatever regu- the regulation they want in place, and there's nothing that anyone can do to stop it. Even the Chinese government recognizes that they can't stop individual users from holding their own Bitcoin, Ethereum. And they've never publicly questioned that or even come close to saying that, you know, you can't store ones and zeros in your own pocket, which is what what a private key is, okay? The problem with that is, is that's not a viable user experience for the average consumer yet. We may evolve to the point where where that's the case, but but right now it's not the case. And I'll debate anyone this because I've signed up a million people with each model, custodial, non-custodial. And I can tell you the non-custodial is, is 100 times easier, okay? Uh, I'm sorry, the, the custodial is 100 times easier. Once they have to store a key, back up, it's a nightmare, okay? So, but that introduces uh, legal obligations. So in the U.S., 
what we figured out is, is that, okay, if you're going to store the keys for someone else and you're basically managing custody of those digital assets and the exchange of those digital assets, you may be operating as a money transmitter. Okay. Now, there's only a few states in the U.S. that regulate that today. If you're not touching cash, most states actually don't even regulate um, just the storing of digital assets. Okay. But, but there's a bunch that do and more are doing it all the time. And so you can either go the money transmitter route, which looks very similar to how Western Union is regulated historically, ironically, the may not make much sense to some consumers, but there's a reason why. And or you can go the bank trust route. And now in, in the case of a couple of states like Wyoming, there's actually a full bank licensing scheme specifically set up for crypto, which which is what uh, one of the models that Abra is pursuing. We announced Abra Bank a few weeks ago. The advantage okay. of this approach is that it gives you in the short term, a viable web 2.5 approach that addresses broad regulation for holding the crypto assets, uh, you know, even providing yield, uh, you can lend, you can, anyway, basically you can look like a bank, right? Um, and, and, and then eventually we'll figure out if there is an easier way than a ledger and a private key to store the stuff myself and use it in different apps myself but I think Web 2.5 is going to be the norm for a few years, and then we'll see what we figure out. Okay. Yeah. So, so my other question is, and, and I've been kind of publicly pushing that I like, there are certain regulations that exist that I, I think should also apply to cryptocurrencies. Uh, my favorite is the 1031 like kind exchange. Um, if you're going from Bitcoin to wrap Bitcoin, that should not be a taxable event. It is today. And so I, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, education that we need to, to have because the asset class needs to grow. And I feel, I mean, this is all I can say is I feel like we're being held back because the, the banks and the institutions aren't ready. Um, and that when they are ready, then it's suddenly going to be exactly as we're seeing in New York, digital dollar, digital this, everything's digital. You're going to, they're going to force us into this, right. but I, I hope it's the world that we build and not the one that gets built, you know, in, in the, uh, the three letter agencies in the background. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I see it the same way. And, and, and look, there's a lot of, uh, examples that you can give. You mentioned the rap Bitcoin, the exchanging between crypto assets using Bitcoin at the point of sale. A lot of people are starting to recognize we don't want consumers to have to deal with the hassle of being taxed on a $25 Bitcoin purchase, where if I choose to check out via Lightning at McDonald's, am I paying taxes on the Bitcoin itself, uh, the sale of the Bitcoin, right, it, it, since the transaction settles in dollars, yep. you know, or or even McDonald's, right, because you could say, okay, I'm going to price the transaction in Bitcoin, but now it's on McDonald's to pay the, the extra tax, right? And, and so, anyway, um, I don't know, but um, I am convinced that ultimately the consumers, at least in, in, in the free markets, are going to get what they want. You know, if you look at the U.S., I think the India is going to be a huge market for crypto, massive. Um, parts of Europe, Eastern Europe in particular, also the countries where the currencies are just going to shit, right? Like Turkey, and Venezuela, and Argentina, hyperinflation. Um, you know, they're already seeing real-world usage just out of necessity. Ukraine, when the war started, and in Russia, it's ironically both sides we're, we're seeing increased crypto usage, right? And so um, I don't want war, but I like the fact that they can still live. The people yeah. who are didn't ask for this and are kind of caught in the middle can still live and uh, manage their, their, their wealth while this is going on, this unfortunate thing. And, um, so I do think that the, eventually the people will, will, will work this out, right? Because the government is us, right? It's not like this, this, this amorphous 
thing that that was spawn, you know, Satan spawn or something. It's like in theory, it actually is us, although it seems like Satan spawn sometimes. And so, so if it is us and we want this, then at some yeah. point <laughs> the two should should work it out because it is us. So anyway, um, so I I I try not to be. I am cynical so, sometimes in private, but I, I do. I'm trying to be less cynical about all this stuff. I, I, I do genuinely believe that we will work this out. I do believe that there's going to be a lot of mistakes along the way. Now, look, I think there's a lot of people who would make this stuff go away in a heartbeat if they could. Oh, yeah. If you look at the, like the house financial services committee and or the outgoing kind of, you know, ruling party that was managing that a lot of them would gladly wave their hands and make crypto go away. And thank God they don't have the power to do that. Cause ultimately yep. this is about, this is a freedom of speech issue. Right. What is Bitcoin at its core? It's a messaging system. Right. Bitcoin doesn't create money out of thin air. Right. It uses math, public private key cryptography to create messages out of thin air. Those messages we've arbitrarily assigned value. That's all Bitcoin. It's a messaging system. That's great because if it came down to it, the Supreme Court's already opined on computer messaging systems as being protected free speech. Now, there's certain things yeah. you can't do with the messaging system. You can't, you know, plot to overthrow the United States government without being arrested for sedition, as we saw, you know, in the, in the, the case that just was tried this week. But, but I mean, you could do it. You're just going to get arrested. So, so my point is, is that there are protections that we are allotted via our, our basic rights around free speech in the U.S. that don't exist in other countries, but that allows us to lead the way. Yep. That's why the U.S., I think, has an obligation to step up here. Because we want this done in a way where it actually protects what we believe is a global right to free speech, even though other countries may not see it that way. And, and um, I, I think that's where we, we as Americans can lead by example. Yeah, and I mean, I've heard the, the number before that if you have 300 million people that, that adopt something as a, as a currency, then it's, it's there, it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, you know, right now we're, we're pretty far away from that with, with Bitcoin, Ethereum or overall cryptocurrencies, but we're not too far off. Um, and, and so it's going to be one of those that, that before we know it, you know, the next generation, like, you know, I've got a 15 year old son and, and him and his friends, like they don't, they don't move dollars back and forth. They move Dogecoin, they move, um, Litecoin, they move little, little Satoshis here and there. And that's, that's the currencies that they've accepted and it's coming whether the regulators want it or not. So it's, it's better to get on the train yeah. now. Yeah. So like I said, I think the people are going to get what they want eventually. And we are the government. It's, uh, you know, if I put cynicism aside and um, it behooves us to make sure that, you know, we protect our, our basic rights. And I have a lot of concerns about central bank digital currencies, these so-called CBDCs, uh, because mm-hmm. they do represent uh, the ultimate power to um, observe, Censorship. watch and censor, um, which is a major issue. I do think you can do CBDCs if you want them without that. The question is, will they? Right now, China certainly won't. Um, anyway, so I'm skeptical for that reason, but that doesn't mean they can't be done right or that they couldn't have value. The biggest problem with that model is simply that it doesn't prevent you from printing money at infinite. Right? You just it just replaces, hasn't slowed hasn't slowed down uh, yeah, the Fed yet. Places the paper print button with a digital print button. Okay, great. It's more efficient <laughs> to, to to print money. Which which okay, I accept the fact that as long as we have central bank based fiat money, that there's going to be a print button. I get that. That's why I'm so yep. one of the reasons I'm so passionate about Bitcoin. Uh, but if we're going to replace that print button with a digital version, it damn well better not be able to censor what I use to spend my you know, 
by physical dollar on. That's a non-starter for me. And I think, um, I think we as Americans need to be very clear that we don't accept that. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, as we kind of roll towards towards a close right here, um, really my last point of, of of question for you is, you know, you've been in the space a long time. You 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 built Web One for us. We appreciate that. Um, you're you're currently working on building. I was glad. I was yeah. a very willing participant. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, listen. You 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 were there, and uh, we, we got this room. this technology to, to to thank you for. Um, now that you're in, in in Web three, how should people you know, knowing how early we are, what's kind of some thoughts you know, some theses that, that people really should follow to avoid you know, kind of FOMOing into to stupid things uh, like they did in this last bull rush. Yeah, I guess if if the perspective and the question is as about investing, I, I would say if if you believe in what I'm talking about around the future of money and the future of banking, and you want to make a long term bet and you're willing to give yourself five to ten years, uh, you know I've put a significant amount of money in Bitcoin and Ethereum, but with that time horizon, right? And so yeah. I don't really look. Uh, you know, maybe more than a couple of times a week at, at real price movements. I do money talks on Friday and I'll look at the charts a little bit, but by and large, I know my t- what, what my bet is and I know what my time horizon is. And I think I try to think in terms of exponential thinking, which is very hard for the average consumer. I get that, but that's, that's the way it goes. Right? We talked at the beginning about the Amazon chart from 1999 mm-hmm. when the price was falling like a rock. And, and so you, you need that perspective if you're going to make a financial bet on this now and become one of those people that's hoarding the private money that I talked about earlier, which I strongly encourage everybody to do, because even with 5% of your wealth, which by the way, stocks can go up 5% in a month, you know, you've now just bought the ultimate schmuck insurance against the system. It's great. So the second thing is, is if you're technically inclined, meaning you understand the basics of a decentralized system, if you understand what BitTorrent is doing to enable file sharing, I w- it behooves you to dig in on this because this is an extension of that for money and banking. And you're, and you, and if you go down the rabbit hole, it's, it's far and deep, but it'll change your perspective on everything, how government works, how money works, how systems work, how control works, uh, how totalitarian societies work, how bond markets work, the debt cycle, what Ray Dalio talks about will make so much more sense to you. And, and so, but it does require uh, a, a fair amount of personal, you know, time to, to go down the rabbit hole and it does suck you in, which is, it's fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, like I said, it's, it's, but to me, it's worth it. Let's just leave it with that. No, I, I love that. And, you know, Bill, let's, we'll let you get back to uh, our Basel because, you know, there's a ton of amazing events going on right now. Um, I really thank you, uh, for, for swinging by and, and having this conversation with us. It was, it was really, again, I, I learned a lot from it. Um, more than that, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and sign up for Abra because I, I was not a client and I will be here shortly. Awesome. Uh, yeah. so, so, yeah, thank you for that. Um, where can people find you if they just kind of want to follow and, and hear some more of your musings along the way? Sure. Um, I, I try to be a little active on, on Twitter. It's, it's hard running running the company, but I'm Bill Barheight on, on Twitter. Uh, obviously, this Abra Global on Twitter. And, then, and of course, Abra.com. We have a lot of content, uh, also links to our YouTube page and, and our, you know, uh, we just... Yeah, we, we really like to create content to help the educational process. But you can also download the, the retail app, Abra, uh, from the app stores for free and just get started. You know, it's, it's just super easy and it really gives you a sense that you're participating in this new system um, without much effort. I love it. I love it. Bill from Abra, uh, Y Wales. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Take care. Talk soon. Y Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck 
passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.